Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by two of the producers from West Side Story. We're joined by Rita Moreno, who's an executive producer and also plays Valentina in the film, and Christy McCosco-Krieger, who is a producer on the film. And Christy, I wanted to start with you because you've been working with Steven Spielberg for so many years, and you've been producing films alongside him um, you know, for such a long time at this point. And I was interested in, with the fact that you've collaborated with him on so many films, what the unique aspects or challenges of the West Side Story and this particular project were in working alongside him? Um, this project proved to be different than anything we'd ever done. And I think it starts off with the fact that we didn't just get a script and decide to make a film. We didn't just decide to do a movie about a human and get their life rights and tell their story. We actually were working with four giant estates with a giant you know, epic property. And they all had to protect the legacy of West Side Story, which as we all know is huge and really, and really matters. Um, so it took us a couple of years. Stephen and I went to the estates. Uh, Kevin McCollum, who's another producer on the film was really essential in helping us get to the estates and sit down and talk to them and talk about the version that we wanted to produce and what we wanted to do with West Side Story. So, you know, that took much longer than most movies do to get off the ground. Um, so we got that done. And then what's the same and a little different is we were making a giant musical. You still need a screenwriter to write a screenplay. Um, and we were lucky that we had Tony Kush Kushner who we collaborated with multiple times on a bunch of our films. Uh, he had done Munich and Lincoln with us. And um, he also works, he's a brilliant playwright who did Angels, America, as you, Angels in America, as you know. Um, he knows how to do something for stage and he knows how to do something for screen. So he was able to take Arthur Lawrence 1957 book and really work with Steven and get it to be a movie that people would want to watch. And then he also helped us with the most enormous thing that we had to do, which was figure out how to find actors and have singing and dancing. And these are things that we've never worked on in any dramatic film that we've ever made. So Tony helped us find collaborators and he put us in touch with Justin Peck. So it was like, okay, how do we, how do we figure this out? Justin Peck is a choreographer. He was a dancer at the New York City Ballet and then he became the artistic director there. He uh, he worked on Carousel, he choreographed Carousel, he won a Tony for that. So he was really able to come in and put our minds at ease about the dancing. He has a Jerome Robbins vocabulary from his work in the ballet and it made the Jerome Robbins estate really comfortable. Um, so we were like, okay, check choreography. And then we needed to deal with the music and the singing. So Tony had also, come, coming from the stage, collaborated with Janine Tesori, and they had worked on Carolina Change together. And she came in and she was able to take Sondheim's words and infuse it into the actors and make what they were singing really have great meaning. Um, and so she came on, we had Matt Sullivan, we hired uh, David Newman and they worked on the arrangements. And then we had Gustavo Dudamel come in and just 
take the uh, take the actual, you know, the score, the Bernstein score, which is so iconic. And he gave it, you know, with his conducting some muscularity and some strength that was really um, something that I don't think anybody's seen on any version of West Side Story. Um, so then it was like, okay, check, we've got music covered. And then it was a matter of casting triple threats. And so while, you know, we normally cast with just our casting director and Steven and I, and we sit in a room and, you know, figure out and audition actors and figure out what we're doing with them. And Steven is, has the ultimate say so. And on this film, you had Justin Peck and Janine Tesori in the room too, because they had to sing and they had to dance as well as Steven thought that they could act. So it was just, it, it felt like a different experience. Everybody, had a vote in the room and everybody um, found these triple threats and, and, you know, and realized and, and made their lives on screen as vibrant as they can be. And, you know, I can't imagine in the end, I mean, the casting process was long and um, arduous, but it, you know, it gave us in the end, Rachel, Ansel, Ariana, David, Mike Feist, and sitting on the screen, Rita Moreno. It's amazing. And, and I love all the intel that you bring to this through your incredibly pivotal role on the film. And and Rita, then jumping over to your involvement in the film, you know, and coming on board as an executive producer, because this is your first time producing as well as acting in a project, which I think is wonderful. Um, I was interested in the conversation that, that Stephen had with you when he spoke to you, not just about coming into this film as a cameo, as coming in in this beautiful, beautiful character, Valentina, that Tony Kushner concocted and created for you, but also coming on board as an executive producer and what you were excited to bring to the table in that role. What's your first question? You asked about four of them. <laughs> in, in kind of like what the conversation was where he spoke to you, not just about acting in the film, but also producing, producing it. That, that, that was the, uh, that was the, the cherry on the cake. I must say I had, I had no uh, interest whatsoever in, in taking it any farther than just being an actor in his, uh, in his, this production. And, uh, I needed to be reassured that we had a, an in-person visit after the call because it was very important for me to understand that he uh, that he was going to he and Tony Kushner were going to correct or attend to the many of the the omissions uh, sociologically and politically that the the original film had not. And that is in no way denigrating the film because it's still an iconic movie. It's still an, an, a fantastic and brilliant concept. Without that one, there wouldn't have been this one. That's for damn sure. And, uh, but I needed reassurance that uh, the characters were going to have some flesh on them. And uh, I've never understood why uh, 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 Anita was never in the end of the movie. Now she still isn't, but now there's plenty of reason because you see it. You see her at the morgue, you see her suffering. Mm. I mean, that, that's, that's one of the most moving parts of the film, I think, when a Valentina singing somewhere. And how does Stephen solve that problem? Okay, let's talk about a problem of staticness. It's a static song. It is beautiful beyond words, but it's static. How do you photograph that? What do you do with that? And I wondered very often before we ever got to film it, 
how's he going to deal with that? Well, what he did was he has Valentina start the song after she hears about all of the horrible stuff that's gone on. And by the way, I brought my own little prop to that scene. I just thought it seemed right. She's, it's a little Virgin Mary statuette. And she's very beautiful, very lovely. That I literally got in a in a in a uh, supermarket next to the candles, and I asked Stephen if I could use it. He said, "Oh my God, yes, that would be wonderful." So you see her briefly, as you see my reflection on it. But what he did with this scene is, after a certain amount of time of my singing, he cuts to other things happening at the very same time that she is ostensibly uh, ruminating about a place for us. And you see all kinds of things happening. And he then would cut back to me singing some more. And then he would cut back to other parts of, of uh, what was happening. And I thought that was just so brilliant. How do you photograph and film a scene with a woman just singing a very simple yet deeply complicated song. Well, that's how he did it. And he solved it. I mean, he solved it with a Mura. Such brilliance. He kills me. I mean, he just kills me. But you know, so does Tony, because he wrote that part and he wrote that, he made such a human being out of Valentina. It's, believe it or not, it's one of the very few times in my life I really love myself in something and I look forward to seeing myself in scenes. You can't imagine how often actors will go, oh God, here's that scene. And they kind of want to turn away because they, they were never happy with the way they did it or something. This happens a lot. Nobody's ever going to tell you this, so I'm telling you. <laughs> and I actually look forward to seeing myself. I love the way I look in it. I love the way I'm dressed in it. I love the hair. Well, that's, you know, my hair is curly like that. And um, I'm, I'm just astonished. I'm astonished at what was brought to this song, which was never used. By the way, it was cut out of the play. Mm -hmm. This song was called the West Side Story Ballet. Did you know that? Yes, that was the West Side Story Ballet. And they had a whole, like, I'm guessing like a 12 minute, maybe even 15 minute ballet in the middle of this movie when things, I mean, of this uh, play where a girl sings the song in the wings. You don't even see her. And I remember who the girl was. She was an opera singer named Riri Grist, who was not yet an opera singer at the time. And uh, I'm guessing that they took it out of the play mostly because it made the play too long. I mean, it was a real ballet, like a one act. It was crazy. And nobody ever heard of that song again. And you hear the very end of it in the end of West Side Story, the first movie. But you hear just a little bit, hold my hand. Is it hold my hand? Anyway, um, all of these things just come together because it's Stephen and Tony putting it together. There is a meeting of minds there in a chemistry that I think exists in very, very few partnerships. Mm -hmm. Agree. Is it, don't you think so? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. The two of them are like in language, don't they? Yeah. They're brothers. And, and what Tony brings to the words, Stephen brings to the visuals. And it's like a real marriage, the two of them. And you have, you know, the most passionate people on earth doing this movie. You know, Stephen doesn't look, he's, what, he's a nice Jewish boy. Yeah, yeah, well, let me tell you something. You know, uh, I want to ask a question of our producer here. Please which do. I always wanted to know. And it probably has something to do with the Bernstein family. They were there like all the time. All the time. And I say in everything musical. And uh, I want to know how the music for a certain scene happened. It turns out to be the scherzo to the ballet. Mm -hmm. the ballet scherzo. And it sounds very, very much like uh, Aaron Copeland. And it sounds very, very much like Aaron Copeland because Aaron Copeland was his mentor. Mm -hmm. And he has, uh, Bernstein apparently worshiped Copeland's work. And there's a lot of a piece called Salon Mexico in that scherzo. I thought he stole it. He just lifted it. And I'm guessing now that it was like a, 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 a tribute. Yes, like an homage. So mm -hmm. Was that, is that? Yeah, so well, it's from the symphonic dances, uh, the scherzo, and it was never in any version of West Side Story on, you know, stage or the, the 1961 version. It wasn't on screen either. Wow. Um, the Bernstein family loved this piece of music. And um, Garth uh, Sonderstrom, who worked with the Bernstein estate, and, and Alex Bernstein and, and, and Janie and, uh, Jamie and Nina, they all, you know, these said- These are the children. These are the children of Leonard Bernstein. Yes, uh, Alexander, uh, Jamie, Alexander, and Nina. And they, they just loved this piece of music so much. And, and Garth had walked over to Stephen and said, it would be so interesting if we could figure out how to incorporate this into the film somehow, some way. And, you know, Stephen, puts it in his brain and it goes in the hopper and he thinks and he thinks and he thinks. And Was it Stephen who put it in there? Stephen and Tony came up with this. And it's the scene where Maria comes off of, it's after the balcony scene and she comes inside and she, you know, hasn't been sleeping at all. And she and wakes up in the morning. She wakes up in the morning and it, it's morning in New York and she makes her, you know, tries to make her bed and she's running all around. Well, she, does, she, she realizes that she's fully dressed. Right. The bed has not been slept in ostensibly. Right. So she has to figure a way to mess up her hair and all that. And that's where you use that music. That's what where they use the music. They actually, it was, it was like literally a marriage of Stephen, Tony, and Justin because Justin choreographed with Rachel the, the dance to the music on it's, set. It and it's all in one take. It was, well, did they do counts and stuff? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, one, two, no. It was more, it was more I of- I need to know this. Yes, I know, I love it, I love it. It was more of a, it was more of an improv. It was more of a, now try this, now try this. And Rachel just went through and figured out all the ways to, you know, make yourself look like you've been sleeping for the night when you haven't been sleeping because you were with, you know, the person you just fell in love with the night before. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, and that, that music is so gorgeous. Stunning. <gasps> it's one of his most beautiful, really. In all in the whole movie, that to me is one of the most beautiful pieces. Yeah. Somewhere. 
really stunning. And, and it was thought up while shooting. It was not, you know, originally uh, contemplated at the beginning when we, you know, had the script. It just absolutely yeah. jarred and shocked me. And I'll tell you one other thing, having the Bernsteins there, which uh, is, I think we'll find interesting. I had a notion of what, how I should perform somewhere. Uh -huh. Now you know that it's a very plaintive song and it, it talks about the pain of not having a place, not being recognized, not being acknowledged in life. It's just, you know, it's a killer song, killer, killer, killer. And um, I wanted to start the song almost without the orchestra. I just wanted to be looking at the little virgin and I poured myself a glass of whiskey. And I just wanted to do this. There's a place for us. Somewhere a place for us. Out of meter. <laughs> and when the Bernsteins heard this, they said, no, no way. It, it broke my heart because I just, I still think I'm right, by the way. I still think I'm right. <laughs> of course you do. And it also, uh, but I think it's interesting to tell the story because it suddenly becomes one actor's interpretation and not just a beautiful, beautiful song. And uh, they would, I, I argued for it and I talked to Janine to sorry about it. Mm -hmm. And they just, they said, no, it has to be in meter. There's a place for us. But it was, it was, it's really still hard for me because I want to do it differently. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's, this is all such a great example of, of the knowledge that you brought to this production of West Side Story, Rita. And I know that the rest of the cast were really looking to you, that you were present throughout a lot of rehearsals and, you know, whether it was during rehearsals or lunch breaks, they were coming to you with a lot of questions and you had which a really was, great. Which was so darling. Yeah. A little like stuck used to sneak in where I was having lunch, not purposely by myself, but I just was being shy, actually. I just met them. And they'd all they'd kind of sneak in and say, can I ask you a question about the movies? Of course. And before you knew it, my lunch hour was taken up with chewing and answering questions, which I loved. Yeah. I loved. It was, I, I, I saw how really impressed they were with the idea of having that Anita on this uh, set, on this production. It was what were some of the questions that they would ask you or, or some of the advice that you ended up sharing or experiences from the original? Because, you know, you know so many details about the original film, even beyond just the scenes that you were in. You, It seems like you really kind of keyed into, you know, the details and the count of, of scenes that you weren't even necessarily always there for as well. Uh, I told them the most important story of all, which had to do with putting myself inside a scene, which was, and I'll make this brief because this could be forever. Besides, I don't know how to do short answers. I'm a real... So uh, I was doing the scene in the candy store where the boys almost rape Anita. And uh, we did it over and over and over and over. And at some point uh, during the filming of that scene, I just started to cry hysterically. And uh, I just, I literally tore away from the boys, my darling Jets, 
and sat at the candy counter and put my head on my forehead, my forehead on my arm, and I couldn't stop crying. It had awakened and it had torn through so many scabs that I, I thought were healed. And I told them this story in great, great, great detail because I said to them, I said, it's so important that you find that place in yourself where you are a Puerto Rican or an outlier person and you find that. Because that, I feel, is the only way you will really be, for my money, convincing. And you've got to find that place. And, you know, if, if there's anything you would want to ask me, don't, don't feel embarrassed. I would be happy to share with you what kind of uh, terrible things happened to me. And, you know, that's all in my documentary. Um, but that's where I felt that I served a real, real purpose. And, uh, and I did talk to um, Stephen about a number of things. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say what I contributed because then people will start looking at those scenes with a different kind of outsider eye, and that's no good. You want to involve them. And Christy, jumping back to you, I wanted to talk about New York because it's such a central character in the film. And obviously, you know, the locations where the story takes place don't look the same. You know, Lincoln Center wasn't yet built at the time that the, the film has taken place. So I know that you use New Jersey and a lot of other locations um, and was really interested in, in how you all sought to find locations that would so authentically read as the center of Manhattan, the center of New York and what you needed visually on screen um, and also how production design also came in with Adam Stockhausen to pay such a key part in all of that as well. Oh, that production designer. Oh, I know. He's amazing. And who is his partner? The woman, what's her name? Oh, Rena DeAngelo, the uh, set decorator. She, They are amazing. They work together. They've worked together with us on uh, Bridges Spies. Oh, my God. They were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And Adam also. I went into that ghetto scene in Patterson, New Jersey with my eye, with my eyeballs sticking out of my head. I know you're asking her the question. No, 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 it's good. No, 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 you're- <laughs> I, I need to share. My daughter was with me she's yeah. for the whole length of the movie. And she and I were just like this. You know, there's a half of the building that's been torn away that's not quite finished yet. It's supposed to be torn down completely. And you see the inside of that half of a building, you see a bedroom. You will see a kitchen, you'll see a toilet, bathroom. It was just, and then they, then they trucked in five zillion uh, uh, bricks mm -hmm. as though they had been already, you know, uh, been banged out of this building that you only saw the half of. So they trucked in and everything is a set. Yeah. And nothing is a set when you look at it. I mean, it was just a astonishing to me it made me cry the set made me cry yeah well it was interesting because just three months before it was a parking lot with a street like we stood in the parking lot and and adam stockhausen had a little model and he had it set up and he was like okay so steven this is what we're gonna do and it was literally a parking lot a street and a parking lot and you were like how on earth are you going to transform this and then three months later, we show up and it's exactly as Rita just described. It was like crazy. How did Adam Stockhausen do this? And I think he and Stephen just thought to themselves, gritty, real, 
like New York in 1957, make it that. And we knew we couldn't get that on a soundstage. So he just went out with his location managers and went out with our UPM and our line producer and just said, like, how are we going to find this? And like I just said, that that parking lot was in Patterson, New Jersey. And we were um, up in uh, the Bronx in New York. And, uh, you know, we just went into these communities and said, hey, can we set up shop here? We're going to try to disrupt you as little as possible. But there's no possible way we can tell this story of, you know, 1957 New York without these streets and without this, this gritty life. You know, I just think that Adam Stockhausen. Yeah. Uh, is, you said that after the first time you saw the movie, remember? You were just like, oh. Oh, oh I was saying that before then when I first entered that. <laughs> and you were, <clears throat> you literally entered a ghetto. Yeah. You literally entered a ghetto that was being torn down. And he did something, and well, I gotta describe this because it kills me. And this, I know it's Adam. Um, it's in, in the basement. It's the scene in the one of the scenes in the basement where you see these sort of little circles of glass. Oh, above, uh -huh. and you see you you see shadows of people walking over it because in New York at that time. They had a lot, I don't know what they call those. Like bottle glass, I think. It's those little roundy things all the way across. Right, and you and you would see in the scene, you'd see people stepping over, you would see feet. You wouldn't yeah. see them, but you'd see silhouettes of people walking yeah. over these things that, that existed in that time. I mean, just, oh God. Yeah, and that was actually a set. Yes, <laughs> that was a set. That was a set that we built. Yeah. Yeah. It's astounding when you look at it on screen. And and Rita, overall, with the experience of making this film, what was what was the difference for you that you really felt when you look back at making the original, you're playing a character, you're doing really wonderful work, but your collaborators aren't looking to you for your input on that project. And then coming on board on this project where you, know, you get to have this character as a collaboration with everyone around you you're also having input on so many other aspects throughout the film you know what 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 was the difference that that really made for you in making this film humongous humongous uh i was doing a wardrobe fitting one time um this is before we started to shoot and i hear this song being sung by a chorus of boys and it was the sharks and they're singing in Spanish. And I'm thinking, get out. No, am I? Wait, wait. And I, I left the fitting and I said, excuse me a second. And I opened a door and there were the boys rehearsing in this other huge room. And they were singing the Puerto Rican national song. And I just stared at them and I, I believe I went, and interrupted the rehearsal because I could not believe who found that, whose idea was that? And of course you, you see it later on in, in the film where the, that's how they, they, they make their exit as the cop sends them away with horrible insults. And by the way, I love the stuff that Corey Stahl says. Yes. That was some of the sharpest, meanest stuff that he, he says to Oh my God, it's hard. Yeah. You know, all of you who will end up being somebody's doorman. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. this movie. I love it for many, many reasons, and it's layered. It's really layered. There's yeah. so much to admire in this film. 
not just love it, but to admire and to respect. Mm-hmm. And speaking of respect, you know, they, um, they really turn themselves into pretzels to try to get it right without ever, ever mentioning anything about what was not right about the other film in some ways. That never came up, ever. And, you know, you respected it. You didn't, if you wanted to ask a question, you asked it in a different way because you didn't want to denigrate the original iconic West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you said about the, the layers and the layers, you know, absolutely fell in love with this film. And every single time you see even just a snippet or a scene or the whole film, there's so much more to uncover. So thank you so much for sharing all of this detail. Really appreciate it, Christy and Rita. Okay. Bye.